But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken, they're drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that, whether we wake or we sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also you do. Um, verse 6, I think, is the, the main verse I was looking at here. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. Uh, King James says, but let us watch and be sober. NIV says, let us be awake and be sober. Um, and just drawing a very distinct parallel between the people of this world that are just numbly walking through life as though they're sleepwalking and following what this world has to offer versus those of us who have the Spirit of God, we're not to be spiritually drunken. We can be children of the light, as it says here. You are children of the light, the children of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. Uh, we have been awakened if we allow the Spirit to work. Uh, so my prayer this morning, by God's grace, that we do not drift into spiritual sleep. I think as Christians, sometimes we can even go there and we can just kind of allow ourselves to be rocked back to sleep. Um, but by God's grace, that we can realize that every moment of life, everything we're doing, God's hand is in it. God is very present, even as things get dark. Now's the perfect time to be joyful. Now's the best time ever, as things get darker, to let the light shine, because the people around us don't have it. And if we're going to make an impact into this world, and we're going to save souls for Jesus, we're not going to do it with our heads hanging and acting like we're defeated. Uh, so let's finish here, uh, Colossians 3. Jump over and read a couple verses in Colossians 3, uh, verses 1 through 4. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on this earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Phil, would you uh, have prayer for us this morning? I guess before that, are there prayer requests? Pray for uh, one of the employees that works with Zeb, had a heart attack this week. Jerry. For a fellow that works there at Garber. Name's what? Bill. Pray for Bill. Um, as of now, is still missing, possibly. Mm -hmm. Christians in Afghanistan, they're facing something that we don't even understand.
exactly what to pray, but if somehow you would be glorified in this, so we be saved, and if it be your will, that Bill would be found faithful. So let's do remember um, Jerry with his heart. She would heal him, and if you would draw him to yourself, and if he would come face to face with the living God, Good morning, everyone. It is a thrill. I've been looking forward to this for a few weeks here, and it is a thrill to be here meeting with the people of God. This is no cheap thrill. This is the real thing, folks. And uh, I'm, I'm just glad to see that everybody felt that it was important to come out and worship this morning. I felt like it was. And uh, it's, it, you build me up just by showing up. So thank you for being here. Uh, to start off this morning, I wanted to conduct a highly scientific survey. Here in the room, I, I put that scientific in front of survey because that's going to make it seem official, I think, is, is how we work these days. Here in the room, how many of us have, in this month of August, either started back to school or will be starting back to school in the month of August? Very good. Lots of, lots of children. We even have a teacher back here that's going to go back to school as well. So it's not just children. To, to, to show the reason I say that, I'm going to open up to 2 Timothy 3.16. The Apostle Paul, I'm just going to read that one verse there. The Apostle Paul gave some instructions to his spiritual son, Timothy. And I would like to read that verse. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I feel like this morning that it, it's easy to look at this verse and think that the preacher is going to show up and pick up his copy of the word and he's going to instruct he's going to teach doctrine reprove and and correct and i don't really feel qualified for that but the beginning of the verse says that all scripture is given by inspiration of god 
So as this gathering, this congregation of God's people, we're going to open up the word together, and the very God of the universe will teach us all, teachers, students, older folks alike. And that's why I'm so excited to be here today. I titled the message, This is That Which Was Spoken by the Prophet Joel. That is a quotation of the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first indwelt men in a large-scale way. I think throughout the Old Testament, you can see the Spirit of God working with people. Let's read those verses in Joel uh, chapter 2, Joel 2. Verses 28 through 32 is what the Apostle Peter was talking about on that day when he made that statement. Joel 2, verses 28 through 32. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and and the terrible day of the Lord." And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. I believe that we are living, and and you're all well aware, we are living in the days where God interacts with his creation through his Holy Spirit. Um, if, If you look at the Old Testament prophets, I start to see a little bit of a pattern in in how they spoke. And and we didn't read the whole chapter here in Joel, but they'll open up their writings and there'll be a call to repentance. So there's there's been a problem. Um, There's been a turning away from God and and they call, the, the prophet calls to repentance and then he tells the message of God And sometimes in that message, or a lot of times in that message, he also foretells, or there's future events that are being told. So when this was wrote a long time before that happened, before that Holy Spirit came and indwelt men, God was interacting with his creation in a different way. He was was acting as a father. So all of you students that, that raised your hand a little bit ago, and all of us, When you go back to school, whether last week or in the coming weeks, one of the first things your teacher will do is review everything you learned last year and see what you remembered over the summer. So for a little bit here in the beginning, let's let's do some review how God interacted with his creation in the Old Testament as a father. He created the world in the beginning in Genesis. He created Adam and Eve, and there was that one order about that tree and uh, that's where sin came in that's a big problem that we still deal with today Um, in the very next generation after that sin came it grew exponentially and there was murder already in the second generation and this this problem of sin continued to grow continued to grow and, and get worse and worse So God decided that he was going to send the flood. And he saved one man, Noah, and he saved his family with him. And after Noah built the ark and Noah went into the ark and waited for seven days till the rain came that was promised, probably hadn't ever rained before at that point, so that was kind of a new thing for someone to believe that that would actually happen because God said so. After, after he came out of the ark, God said, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. The, again, the sin continued to abound. There was the Tower of Babel. I'm sure we've, we remember that account where God then went and confused the language of everyone. And after that, this is kind of a, a whirlwind review here, so we're probably missing some important points. You can go back and find them. 
God started to bring up three men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're going to remember those names. And he made a covenant with, uh, with Abraham. And there were three things about the covenant. He said, in your seed, all nations of the world will be blessed. He also promised them a land where they would live. And there was a promise of redemption. But they didn't go directly to the promised land. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly where Jacob got renamed as Israel in there. But as a father, God took this man, Jacob, and he was named Israel. And this whole nation kind of became like God's son. And one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, then, here again, more sin, more problems. They sold their brother into Egypt because they didn't like him because he was a dreamer. So, like we read about in Joel, there's going to be, in these last days, prophesying, dreams, visions. All the way back then, people didn't even like him and, and would work against God and the workings he had. But God, in his infinite wisdom sent Joseph to Egypt through this sinful event by his very brothers. And because of a famine in the land, it turns out God had a great big, a whole lot bigger plan uh, to do with, with Joseph. And he ended up being a part of saving his whole family, Israel, from the famine that was in the land. Then Joseph died uh, Jacob or Israel died and a Pharaoh rose up that did not know Joseph the nation of Israel the Hebrews had greatly expanded and the Pharaoh got worried that these people were getting to be too big and so they were enslaved I don't know if you're starting to see the pattern or not but things just kind of go up and down and men are sinful and God they're called to repentance and God can show up and fix some things but generally, we're headed in a farther direction than, than what sometimes we can see right in front of our face. So God, after the slavery, God grabs a man named Moses. And Moses doesn't really like the calling that God's calling him to. Moses ends up in the wilderness God speaks to him in a burning bush. Kind of an interesting little story there. Um, through all that, too, he, he met a man and ended up marrying his daughter. So he got a wife out of the deal. And finally, he, he started listening or, or obeying the orders of God. God brought him back to Egypt. And he was like a prophet to the Pharaoh. And would show up and tell Pharaoh the message of God, which was, let my people go. And if you don't, here's what's going to happen. Twelve times, I think it was. Am I counting them right? Twelve times. Finally, he lets them go. And about the time they get a couple days out of Egypt, they've spoiled all the Egyptians. They have everything they need. Their, their horses are loaded down or camels, whatever they're driving those days. And... They come in between some mountains and come up to the Red Sea. And here we go again. There's murmuring and complaining. They said, Moses, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? Here comes Pharaoh chasing behind us. He's going to annihilate us, and we're stuck right here. So God just parted the Red Sea, and they walked across, and here comes the Egyptians behind them, and the water is too quick, and the Egyptians are destroyed themselves. Once again, God provides so they, they move out into the wilderness, and God, as a father, is still directing them, and he gives them the law, which is, is kind of what the, old, the whole Old Testament deals with, is, is living under the law. And, and God asks them to, would they like to covenant with him and obey this law? Open your Bible to uh, Exodus 19, 7 and 8. Let's see what they said when God asked them to covenant to follow the law. Exodus 19, 
verse 7 and 8. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words, which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the Lord, returned the words of the people unto the Lord. So they agreed to the covenant. We agree to your terms, God. We'll do it. And it wasn't just a whole lot longer, the Ten Commandments factors into this, that that covenant in their mind was shot. They started murmuring and complaining again. And God is a father. There, there's lots of events where people didn't make it, but he didn't destroy the nation. This is still his son, and he's still directing them as a father would. Sometimes he's a little bit stern with them. Always looking to bring them back. They, as they wandered in the wilderness then, he had them set up a whole system of religion. There was a tabernacle, and he gave very specific instructions how to build it. And there were methods of worship that had to be followed. And then once a year, you would bring a certain sacrifice, and another time certain sacrifice. And the priest was the one that always had to go in to do the sacrificing. The people didn't go before the Lord themselves. They wandered around for lots of years, and finally, after lots of training, God the Father brought them, a man named Joshua, they came to the promised land. And again, regardless of how many times they broke the covenant with God, God was faithful with his covenant. His direction was sure that that master plan that he had in the end, he always achieves. And then they, they came into the promised land. They didn't do just a whole lot better there at following covenants. There were various people that they were supposed to utterly destroy that they didn't, and then the effect of those people still in their culture happened. So there were judges set up to judge them. And at this, this stage somewhere in here is where God started to give them prophets, of which one we read was Joel here a little bit ago, and we'd like to get back to that here in a minute and priests and kings. So now we have the first king of Israel um, was Saul, and then David, the man after God's own heart. Lots of, lots of good lessons here. The problem of sin is still abounding, and God is still so faithful that there's not total annihilation just because of that. Then... There came a time where the kingdom became divided. The Israelites couldn't even get along with themselves. And their kingdom came divided. This, this is really spiraling downhill fast. And uh, God sends other heathen nations and takes them captive. It's getting worse. I don't know if you can look around the world today and identify with this downward slide or not. But at any rate, the prophets then also went silent for 400 years. In the way that God interacted with his creation, creation experienced a seismic shift. There was a major change, as he had said by his prophets. He came as a man and lived among his creation. For all of that summary that we just went through, God was... His spirit was active. We can look in the Old Testament now that we know what we know in our day and see it. But he was mainly acting as a father. And now he sends his son in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, this, this powerful God that has directed this whole of history, headed towards he, where he exactly wants it. You could say he could snap his fingers and make it happen he said, I'm going to experience it like you folks do. I'm going to come down and live among you. And his son is, is like our brother. He, he's a man just like us. He's 100% God, but he's 100% man. Totally different. And we are very thankful for that. And as way too short of a summary here of the life of Jesus, he lived a perfect life. 
And then that law that was given, he fulfilled it. He said, I come not to abolish the law, but I come to fulfill the law. He also, that religious system where they had a set of several festivals or feasts, we, we can see that those feasts that God instituted were pointing towards this man Jesus in that in his death, he was sacrificed as the Passover lamb. He lived a sinless life. So the, the feast of unleavened bread was pointing towards him. And he was also resurrected, which is the whole reason for our belief. That's absolutely where it starts. He was resurrected as the first fruits of the resurrection. And in Luke 24, 46 through 49, let's read that. A pretty, a pretty important verse to how we live today. We would term this the Great Commission, Luke uh, 24, 46 through 49. And he said, he, Jesus, said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are all witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So Jesus gave orders to his apostles. He said, I'm going back up to the Father. I want you to preach my message throughout all the world in my name, but wait here for 10 days. Because, uh, how did that say that? The promise, I send the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. That is what Peter was speaking about. So if God interacting as a Father and switching to coming and living among us as a son was a seismic shift, then what's about to happen that I want to read about here in Acts chapter 2 is, a, is quite a monumental event, and it is where we live today. So we're going to go to Luke 2. While we're here in Luke 24, let's read verses 25 and 26. This is Jesus speaking also. Then he said unto them, so this is the Emmaus Road experience, another little review thing here, you're familiar with that. Two men believed in Jesus. He was the Messiah, and then he was killed and crucified, and they're they're on a trip to Emmaus and it's, they're doubting that, that he really was the Messiah. And Jesus comes and walks along with them and he says this, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? What I wanted to grab out of this is they knew, those men knew all that the prophets had spoken about this man Christ he had told them, and eventually he opens their eyes and tells them again, that I am going to die, and I am going to rise again the third day, and I am the Messiah. And it was easy to, when the going got tough, it was kind of easy to miss it. But what he says here is all that the prophets have spoken. So now we've read Joel, and he said that the Spirit will be poured out. He said that there will be prophesying dreaming and visions does that sound kind of like is that going on today how, how do you feel about that are you a prophet or do you dream a dream you feel like you're being led of god let's um let's read acts 2 
think if we read through verse 22, we'll get the, the most of this. Quite familiar here. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. I wanted to say something about Pentecost. It was the yearly feast where God had ordered back in Exodus that every year you would have this feast, Pentecost. I, I don't know exactly in history when it became to be known as that. Originally it was the Feast of Weeks. So from Passover, unleavened bread, and uh, the first fruits feast, we're going to go 50 days or seven weeks and one day, 50 days. So Pentecost just simply means 50. But in the Old Testament, God had said, the offering that you bring to me, so now we are in an age where they've came in the promised land, they've built a temple, so where we're going to bring this offering is in the temple, so everybody's got to come back to Jerusalem 50 days later, bring two loaves of bread with leaven in them. So at the first fruits, the offering had been a sheaf or a handful of grain. That was the first fruits that was seen generally as the beginning of the harvest, and now Pentecost, we see it as the end of the harvest, or we have these two loaves of bread. So, the day of Pentecost was fully come. This is verse 1, chapter 2 of Acts. They were all with, with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as, a, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue? Wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya and Cyrene and the strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues with the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter standing up, with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved." So, familiar with this, it's the first coming of the Holy Spirit. But what I notice here, and the reason I pulled out that verse in the Emmaus Road experience was all that the prophet said. The prophet Joel said in the last days that he would pour out on all flesh. When we read through this list in the previous verses here, there were a couple statements that made me think that these were mainly Jews and proselytes or converts to Judaism. And I don't have Jewish background, but I do claim that the power of the Holy Spirit. So when the prophet said all, God inspired him. It was inspired by God. That's what he's going to do. So let's keep going in Acts here. And turn to chapter 10. This is, this is where we're going to find some more interesting stuff. And as you're turning past all these chapters, again, we're going to go past some important events. Stephen is martyred. A man named Saul of Tarsus is converted. He persecutes the church pretty viciously and then becomes 
one of the most prolific writers in the New Testament, interestingly enough. Uh, Acts 10 is an account of a man that, in verse 1, a man in Caesarea, his name is Cornelius, he's a centurion, so he would have been a Roman. He was not a Jew at all. He was, however it's referred to in, in Acts, he was a Greek or a Gentile. That, that's really where we're at. We're Gentiles. Verse 2, he was a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to people and prayed to God always. He didn't have the promises like, or the covenants, maybe I'll say, that, that God had covenanted to his son, Israel, his nation, Israel, in the Old Testament. But he believed. And so anyway, that to, rather than read it all, it, he's praying one day, and God sends an angel to him and says, I want you to call for a certain man named Peter at a certain house and ask him to come talk to you. So he does that, and he sends people. I guess it takes a day or so for him to go and, and get to the certain house that he, that he said about the time where, where his servants show up to ask for this man named Peter, the Apostle Peter. Um, Peter is up on the roof praying, and that same spirit that had directed Cornelius to send for him tells him, uh, that there's going to be men coming and asking for you. And he has a dream, here's that dream again, about a sheet coming down, and he realizes some things about how, I think at that time, Jews thought that they were still exclusively who God was going to be, to summarize, saving. Um, let's start reading in verse 34. So there, there's been this whole experience, and it, it's obviously orchestrated by a powerful, powerful God in, in just these two men's lives here and, and bringing them together. This is a, a highly important event to us. Then Peter opened his mouth, verse 34 in chapter 10, and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. The word I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and beginning from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in, the, and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, I'm understanding that to be the Jews, which, were believe, which believed in Jesus, were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. So here we go. In Jesus, the first fruits, the handful of grain, now there are two nations, or now we have two loaves of bread, Jews and Gentiles together. There is sin still in the world. We still have that problem from all the way back in the beginning. That would be the leaven. In the, in the bread that, the, that God all those years ago was pointing towards this time right here. And, and this kind of took a while. If, if I understand history right, from Acts 2 to Acts 10 could have been four or five years. That, that's quite a long time. So that was quite a lot of review. Here, here we are today. And, and like I mentioned, all that the prophets said. So, 
when Joel said that the Spirit would be poured out, I think that day, if, if this glass of water were God's Spirit and God picked up the cup and He started pouring it out, that day's not going to happen again. That was the first time. But the cup is so big and the Spirit is so filling that He's still pouring it out. You know, we're, we're hundreds, thousands of years later and that Spirit is still pouring out. We are still in that time frame. So do you feel like you can prophesy? If you look at the, the example of the Old Testament prophets, there was a call to repentance. We, we could sure use that. And they could tell the message of God. We have it. We're all holding the copy. We have the message of God. And we, in our Sunday school, have been studying Revelation. We know what's going to happen in the future. So when we look around the world and things are a mess... That, that's what I think the prophesying means. I think it needs to be going on. That's, that's the Great Commission. Um, it wasn't very long ago that the, uh, Cephas's dad, Pastor Noe, stood right here at this podium and told about a dream that he had that was fulfilled. He, he woke up from, a, from his sickness or whatever was happening. He told a dream to his son. They knew immediately that God was working. So... God interacts with his creation as father, as the son of God for redemption, praise his name, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Joel continued on to say that there would be signs in heaven, that the, the sun would be darkened, that the moon turned to cosmic events that I don't think we've seen yet. So we are still living in that time frame and we have a responsibility to to prophesy if if you'll accept my definition of it there um, as we wait for that great and terrible day of the lord which is when he comes back and if if you have the spirit of god inside of you at that time there's nothing to fear like we're picking up in our study of Revelation. But if you don't, you're going to be calling on rocks and mountains to hide you and, and asking the question, who can stand in front of this God? So the reason I went through that whole review, I mean, that, that, that's all exciting information. But I, I find it so fascinating that from the very beginning, God has had this all in mind. It's a master plan. And as humans, as his creation, if he would have just gave it all to us at the beginning, I'm not sure we could have handled it. You can, you can look in the Old Testament and find accounts where somebody seen God and they weren't supposed to and they, they fell dead immediately. Um, and, and we see his, his perfect working in a, in a pattern start to emerge. That whenever we've totally messed it up, He's always faithful to show up and help us out with our current problem that we're dealing with right in front of us. But when he provides that solution, he's always got a farther goal in mind that, that's farther out. And it, it just always works a whole lot better when you follow him. So this brings me to today. Over the past three weeks, I've had a good opportunity I've been motivated to kind of consider my own life and how I how I got to this day um, and it it is it is definitely by the Holy Spirit of God no no question at all I when I was 20 years old I had been raised in a Christian home my parents were believers they were devout I would say, and uh, when I was 20, I had got to the point where I decided that, that I, I didn't need all that, and, and for probably two or three years of my life, I, I didn't feel like that the goals that I had, the things that I wanted to do involved coming to church regularly to worship God, and uh, I knew who God was, but I didn't really have time for that. That, um, that wasn't on my agenda. I was kind of in charge of my life, and so I moved out of their house, and I went about doing the things that I wanted to do. 
And after those two or three years, and this, looking back now, was the Spirit of God, no question. You, this is consolation to parents. You train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. And I was trying to depart, and the Spirit just grabbed a hold of me and, and said, you know, this, this is a pretty miserable life you're, you're leading here. And um, if you're ever going to find a wife and experience what you want to and build a family you're not going to find it where you're looking right now so I decided I'd start going back to church maybe I'd find a good girl there and I did my wife and uh her 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 parents then were great to me too like adopted me as a son another theme we can pick up out of the bible um and we got married and started having children. And I'll admit to you, I struggled with the idea of being a part of a congregation and, and having to participate in all the things. I, I was talking to my brother one time and I told him, I just don't like the idea of all of these people having control of me. I felt like they were trying to control me. And he, he had good advice and you'll get used to it, I think, was probably where he ended up at. And it took a lot of years. And finally, amazingly enough, here again, and this is the spirit I'm talking about. And, and this is me personally. That's why this is so personal to me. One morning, my wife came to me and said, you know, we've been attending this place of worship, and, and I just I feel like I'm being led. We need to go somewhere else. And I said, you know, just, just this morning, I feel the same thing. So we talked about it a little bit more. And we still live where we lived then, and the closest church to come to was Cornerstone. And so there, there were some options, but um, let's, let's, that's the closest one. Let's go there. And we came here, and all of you have played a major part in my life in how... I am interacting with God. You have followed the leading of the Spirit. You loved me when I showed up, and I wasn't real certain about all you folks. And a couple years later, I come to the realization, I was like, you know what? I love all these people. And I do. So I look at myself, and after I quit rejecting the leadership of God, he took the things that I struggled with the most. And today, those things are what I hold on to. The, the people that are here, I love them. I'm telling you, I love you all. And that's what motivates me. So when we come to this time and this congregation says, will you preach? I can't say no. In fact, I'm excited to say yes. I have full confidence then that this story is not over. I have no idea where we're going. But we can look at this example that we have that we've just taken a lot of time working through and it is going to be amazing. It is going to be absolutely amazing and I don't even know what it is and I can be scared of it a little bit but that's kind of overrode and I'm guessing from all the experiences I've had that when it comes, it will probably be what I was worried about. And God in his infinite wisdom and his almighty power is going to turn it around and he's going to work it and it's all for his glory. So, to conclude, I want to read some verses out of 1 Thessalonians 5. Where do we go from here? First Thessalonians 5, I'm going to start in the 16th verse. From this day forward, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things. 
Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Pray for me. What shall we sing? <laughs>